Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor, and welcome to Sleep Success, my new health and wellness podcast, where I'm going to share 23 years of expertise working with people to overcome their challenges at night. During these stressful times, we're all experiencing new forms of disruption and difficulties. So I'm here to help you rest easier so you can live better and attain sleep success. Given that we're experiencing unprecedented amounts of change in our lives, Today's guest is an ideal fit as I'll be joined by Monica Berg, an author, motivational speaker, and self-professed change junkie. Changing sleep patterns is something that isn't easy, and Monica has some wonderful advice on how to take some new approaches in life. But first, the wake-up call. A recent French study providing some good news for those who want to justify sleeping in on the weekends. According to their results, those who regularly only get six hours of sleep or less during the week aren't banking enough sleep on the weekends to make up their sleep deficits. Next up, an interesting story from the business of sleep, as Choice Hotels has partnered with the app Relax Melodies to be available commercial-free in all of their rooms. For those of you who are familiar, Relax Melodies is an app that provides various audio sound mixes designed to help people, well, relax. Finally, I'm not sure how many in my audience are here from London or England or subscribe to the Hereford Times, but they recently asked their readers to send in pictures of their pets sleeping, and the results were awesome, as I'm sure you can imagine, assuming you're an animal lover like myself. So if you want to smile, Google the Hereford Times Pet Sleeping and thank me later. Now that you're awake with some news, let's dive into this episode's sleep story. You know, change can be a very scary word. It's often something that is very difficult for people to manage, let alone embrace it. That's why I'm so excited to speak today with my guest, Monica Berg. She's an author, a motivational speaker, and she is a self-professed change junkie. She believes that change is empowering and enlightening, and I think she's right. Monica, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I am super excited to have you on here. But first, we've got to educate all of my listeners. What is a change junkie? I'm excited to hear about this one. Well, it's um, something that I've evolved into. I did not come into the world this way. I think like most people, (laughs) uh, I craved change, but I had an aversion to change. We often um, dream about a different life, a different reality. We want things in our lives to change. But then when it comes to doing it, it's so incredibly uncomfortable and often painful. And I think that people go through life trying to accumulate things. It's what we understand growing up, right? You want to go to school, so then you can get the job of your dreams, so then you get the house of your dreams, you get the wife or husband of your dreams, right? And as we accumulate all these things, we start to get really afraid about losing anything, right? I don't want anything to change, but that's boring. And honestly, that is a recipe for unhappiness because we're not meant to be complacent. So I came to this knowing in my personal life when my second child was born with Down syndrome. And I found out a few hours after he was born. So for nine months, I carried a child in my stomach and I had an idea of what that would be, right? I thought he'd be healthy, be typical, we're growing our family. And I remember it wasn't so much his diagnosis that threw me, it was this idea of um, the unknowable, right? The the indescribable existence of life, things that were going to come up that I didn't know. It was that idea of, oh my God, everything's changing and I'm terrified. Mm. 
So I realized that in life, the only thing that is constant is cha- in change. And we know this, right? We know this as a concept and an idea, but I really decided I'm going to embrace it. And not only am I going to accept this big change, I want to change the way that I view things. I want to change each and every day. And and then I started to seek change. And when I started to do that, then it really did become addictive because then life started to work for you. There's no disappointments then. Um, you're never really let down or disappointed. And you create this whole other world that you live in that's quite freeing, actually. So that sounds pretty amazing. Help me understand how the, the last two things that you said, you said that there are no disappointments. Help, help us understand what does that mean? How, how does that happen over the course of time? Because it means that when things don't go your way, which they won't, right? I mean, I think often in life, we, again, have goals, we have plans. I mean, even when you woke up this morning, I bet you had a lot of ideas about how your day would unfold. And when they don't go that way, especially when we're relying on the bigger things to happen in the way that we want, then we spend a lot of time feeling upset and disappointed. So I have learned that when I'm going to do my best, I'm going to try my hardest. I have many goals. I have big desires. I do. However, if you push and push and things don't happen as you wanted, I'm really aware that there's another reality and there's another opportunity for me that I just can't see yet. And actually, it's going to be even better. So if, you, if I give you the example, let's say that I had planned a trip to Hawaii. And by the way, I think that people who don't adopt this way of thinking are having a really hard time right now with the way our world is, right? With COVID, with all the things that are constantly changing, everything is unknown, right? Schools might open, they might not open. You have a job, you might not have a job. I mean, there is the, it's that feeling of uncertainty that really rattles us. But if you understand in reality, we think we're in control of things, but we never really are in control. It's the biggest sense of illusion that we actually live by, right? And I understand the human need to crave comfort and again, to feel safe, but it's the opposite of how we're doing it. So for instance, let's say I planned a trip to Hawaii and I took two weeks off work and I've been planning this all year and I'm so excited. I saved up my money and I'm going to take my family. And I just, on Monday, I have an idea about, I'm going to be sipping an umbrella drink on the beach, right? Now there's a storm out of nowhere. It can't happen that week. And now it's pushed two weeks later. You can look at it two ways. You can be upset, right? It didn't go your way. And also for people who don't really love themselves, it's like, oh, I deserve this. I never, nothing good ever happens to me. I'm not lucky, right? You can take it all the way. Or you can say, wow, I have two weeks open in my schedule without any meetings because I was supposed to be away. That's awesome in my world anyway. I can choose to spend my time the way that I want. And I'll still take the vacation. And I trust that when I'm going to take it, it's going to be for the best. So it's that, that flexibility allows you to always see something else and something better. And I've actually trained myself. As soon as something doesn't go the way I planned, in a second, I'm actually, okay, how can I do this? What's next? And, it, and it's really exciting. So first of all, I love that idea. That is a great, and I'm thinking like while you're talking, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, this applies to so many different areas within the world of sleep, right? So one of the big areas that I think this applies to a lot is when you wake up in the middle of the night and you look at the, and you look at the clock, right? So you instantly do the mental math and then you're pissed, right? You're like, oh, this sucks. But that's the perfect opportunity to change your attitude, right? And so one of the things I talk about with my patients all the time is being positive in the middle of the night and saying, you know what? I'm awake, but 
Now I've got an opportunity to get three more hours of sleep, right? So you, you flip the script, you go from negative to positive and you accept this new change in your life, which is kind of what you're talking about. I, I think this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Instead of, oh my God, I've only slept three hours. I know how bad it is for my health not to sleep, right? We go all the way with it. And then we're stressed out and we're like, I can't sleep at all. Exactly. It's just it, anything that comes up in life. I mean, if I wake up in the middle of the night, which it's usually I have a thought, right? Something in my subconscious that's not allowing me to sleep, but I'm a pretty good sleeper. But I, I say, okay, well, this is an opportunity even. I mean, sometimes I'll study, right? I mean, you probably don't recommend that, but Kabbalistically, which which really is something that I do study is Kabbalah, um, the best time to study is kind of in the middle of the night where you are able to tap into a different energy and something that's more elevated. Well, I've done a little bit of research to learn a little bit more about what Kabbalah looks at in sleep. First, for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with Kabbalah, can you give us a really brief understanding of sort of like what is Kabbalah and then maybe get into sleep? Because you're absolutely right. There's a really interesting, um, uh, I guess it's a method of, of study in the middle of the evening because it means that I, I think something about like dreams are, or is your soul going up to a different place? And this is a particular time to study when you're sleeping and then when you're not sleeping. But I, I think I'm getting that wrong. No, no, that's correct. <laughs> um, so Kabbalah is an ancient wisdom that explains the complexities of the material world and the non-material world. In essence, it's a handbook to show us how to transform and to elevate and expand our consciousness and to really derive purpose and meaning from everything that happens in our lives, especially in the most challenging, so that things don't happen to you, but they happen through you. Everything is set up to, uh, has the potential to make us better, happier, um, and living life to the fullest in a very broad way. But it's a very deep wisdom, and you can study it your entire life and still really be at the very precipice of it. But when it comes to sleep, um, and it is interesting because I, I believe a lot, I, I, I've had a lot of dreams that I've had actually come true. Um, and they feel different when they are prophetic and when they're just, you know, something that happened in the day that might be upsetting me. But from a spiritual standpoint, sleep is the closest we ever get to death outside of illness or accident. And it happens every night, right? So that's why Kabbalistically, when we wake up, there's certain prayers you say in the morning. And one of them is, thank you for allowing me to wake up again, because I think we take it for granted that it's very automatic because it happens every day. But it's actually quite miraculous. Um, and the Talmud, which is another uh, ancient text, explains that during sleep, only one sixtieth of our soul is present in our body, and the rest of our soul goes to the upper world to rejuvenate. And just as our body at that time uses this sleep to repair and renew, it's pretty fascinating. You know, when you start to because it, it's fun. Like we look, you know, I've, I've talked with pastors who look at the Bible and sleep, Old Testament and New Testament, you know, and there's so many very interesting aspects to sleep um, from a religious perspective, from a cultural perspective. So it's, it's so fascinating how different people in, interpret sleep. I'm going to jump back to change for a second because I'm going to go back and forth, back and forth because I've, you're an expert in both and I love it. Um, so, so I know in my practice, and I'm sure you see this with people that you work with all the time, people are resistant to change. People are scared of change. Can you help us understand what are some of your techniques or, or tips that you, you can help people start to overcome some of those changes? And I know some changes are bigger and some changes are smaller and things like that. Maybe that gets taken into account as well. Well, I think that this is like a muscle, right? You need to practice and keep flexing it. And the more you do, the easier you're going to be with change. And in fact, the more certainty you end up having, which is you trust the 
process of life, right? That becomes the ultimate purpose of life. And so you understand that it's very necessary to be able to just go with it because our perspective and what we can really see is so limited, even though we feel like we see everything. Um, I think to answer your first part of your question is people are most resistant to change because we have this aversion to change that's deep seated in human nature. Um, we even look, you know, there's a chocolate test, which I love, and they had this, these two groups taste chocolate. And one group was told that the chocolate was from a company that was over 70 years old. And the other group was told that the chocolate was from a company that was started three years ago. And unanimously, everybody who thought that the chocolate was, and by the way, they're identical, right? It was the same chocolate. Um, the ones that thought it was from a company that had been there for 70 years thought that it tasted better because they believe that there's not something new, not something different would be good, but something that has the, the test of time. I think another reason is that people have a fear that subconsciously they'll end up worse than they are now, right? It's like better the devil you know than the one you don't. So even if I'm uncomfortable, even if life is kind of mediocre, you know, it's better than, you know, the relationship I am in is okay, but at least I'm not alone like Sally next door, right? Or so we do that with ourselves to, to stay stuck and stay put. Um, but some really quick ways to actually change that, and one of the, the things that I do in my life all the time is to first identify what habits, what aspects of your character, your personality aren't working for you, and what your life would look like if you changed those things. So a really great motivator is if I continue to live my life the way I am now, where do I see myself in one year, in five years, and in 10 years? Because that's a very sobering thought, right? Because if something's not working for you now and it's, it's barely manageable, like in 10 years, it's going to be unbearable, right? So I think that it's important for people to look at it like that because I think often, again, yeah, it's another day at work. Oh, another year went by. And we tend to think of our, life, our lives in terms of years, right? Oh, I hit a milestone, you know, I'm 35 and then I'm 40. Now I'm in my 50s. No, look at actually, I actually do it every day. You know, I want to be somebody different tomorrow than I am today and tomorrow and the, so on and so forth. I don't want to even recognize the version of myself that I am today, tomorrow. But you're like a change junkie, right? I mean, that you live, you love this stuff. You've kind of gotten there. I'm a scaredy cat. Okay. Like I don't like, I like things like kind of nice in my nice little way. But I think you're 100% correct. I think the universe is changing constantly. And I've, I, I've got to get more used to change. And so if I was going to say that I'm the scariest you know, person that you've ever worked with, and I, I'm fearful of change, how do I overcome that? Is it, is it, are you looking at my fears and why am I fearful of changing? Or are you looking at the thing, the one thing that I'm afraid to do? See, I rather you, I think people often focus on the negative. And I'm saying, forget, I don't care why you don't like it. You know, I don't even care what you're afraid of. I mean, we can talk about all of that, but I rather you just decide that instead of putting energy and focus on what's not working for me, I'm going to start thinking about the things that do. So another tip is if you stop doing right now, today, in this moment, now that we're talking, you stop doing things that you don't love doing, just stop. Don't do them anymore, right? You've already removed 50% of what your problem is. And now you have that all that time to put towards something positive. So for people who are organized, I think like you seem like a planner. Um, I recommend creating a to-be list versus a to-do list. Oh, what's that? 
So often people in life have their to-do list and usually it's really nonsensical, like go to the dry cleaners on Tuesday and the grocery store on Thursday, or it's a list of things that are not really, it's not going to change your life or make you happier if you do them in a month from now, or you make sure you do it in this week, right? But if you create a to-be list, you write on that list everything you want to become. Let's say that you want to become an author, right? So on your to-do list, you would write, you know, two days or five hours of writing a week. So now your to-do list becomes purposeful. And it's based on things that you actually want to actualize. So if it's to be a good friend, then on your to-do list would be make sure that I call two friends a week that are having a hard time. So the to-be list funnels into the to-do list. Right. Dictates what's going to be on the to-do list. Correct. Got it. So it's two, it's two different things. I was, I was thinking I might replace my to-do list with my to-be list, but that's not, the, that's not the object of the game. The object of the game is to have a higher purpose behind your to-do list and then let those little logistical things land on that to-do list. Is that kind of it? Yes, because what's driving it now is purpose, is your soul's desire, is really what is important to you. And when you think about it, when people crave change, it's those kinds of changes that they want, right? I'm stuck in this nine to five job, and yes, I need to make a living, but my passion's always been cooking. Great, so then I'm sure you can find enough time in the day Right. Instead of having these negative thoughts about, oh, my God, I'm living somebody else's life, you can actually start working towards it. So the to be list is a really great way to put in sharp focus what's important to you and then taking steps to doing it. So when you look at this to be list and I'm focusing on this because I think it's a fantastic concept, I really am, I, I really like the way you think about it. When would you do it during the day? Because it feels like that could bring up emotions or things like that. Or is it very settling because you've kind of put it down? Like I'm trying to think in my mind, is this something that I do before bed? Or is, is it going to become too emotional for me to do something like that before bed? Well, it's something to do when you feel most at ease. Because if you force to make yourself a list, let's say, I mean, there's that book, The 5 a.m. Club, which I love. And it's interesting because I, I sleep too late to be able to do that. But I have worked it very early in the morning. And, uh, and it's quiet, right? My kids aren't up yet. And I'm, and I, I've just woken up from sleep. So I'm downloading lots of emotions, right? It's when you're not, nothing else is impressed upon you from the day. You just wake up and you're kind of clear for other people. They might at night after everybody's sleeping and they've had their day and maybe they have a little regret about how they spent their day and they're really hungry for change. Maybe that's the time to create the debut list. It's whenever you feel like you're going to be most honest and you're most present with yourself. Got it. So, so it's not necessarily that you need to find a time of day to do it, but more when the, when it strikes you or do you, cause for me, like it might not strike me for a week type of thing. And so I, I I'm again, I'm a scheduler, I'm a planner. I might stick it on my, on my box and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to think about the to be list today. Is that not the way to do it? Or should I wait for the inspiration? I think I would recommend doing it over the weekend because that's usually when people check out and then comes Monday and it's like, oh, back to life again. And then you get busy with your routine and then Friday's happy hour and then you have the weekend, right? So I would say like on a Saturday or Sunday, Sunday's when I make my list for the week, make your whole list for the week and each day, each week, create a new to-be list. And sometimes they'll be the same. And sometimes you'd be like, wow, I did that. And you can mark that off or you can adjust the hours. It's really about being emotionally connected with yourself and giving yourself emotional feedback. I think far too often people don't actually check in with themselves to have these kinds of conversations. Before you became so interested in change and, and the things that, that, that caused that, how was your sleep? And how has your sleep changed 
now that you've kind of got this different attitude? Because I, I, I personally feel like your sleep must have gotten better. Not that it was necessarily terrible beforehand, but I don't know. I'm curious. Yeah, no, you're accurate, actually. Um, and I like that question. I think that before I really started to live this way, I was always in a rush to um, become who I meant to become and to do things and to check my lists, you know, and, and, I, and I felt like sleep was a waste of time, to be quite honest. And I think that that is a thought usually that people have when they're younger, you know. Um, I used to, you know, I'm a marathon runner. I used to go running for 20 miles on six hours of sleep. And now I think about it and it's like, why would I, that's abuse really for your body. Um, and so now I really respect sleep. I really appreciate it and I really look forward to it uh, because I, I feel so much better in the day now that I'm honoring that. And, uh, and so eight hours, eight hours is the, is the, and I know that we all know that, but I need eight hours and I enjoy that. That's, that's so fascinating. So you mentioned two things that I, I'm, I'm interested in. So you said you talked about the 5 a.m. club, right? And you said, you know, that, so, so I don't like the 5 a.m. club. Um, and I'll tell you why, because I think that only about 25 or 30% of people can actually do it, <laughs> you know, can wake up that early. I, I'm not an early bird. I'm a, I'm a night owl for sure. When you've tried to adjust your schedules for travel or for lecturing or for, or, or for even life, what have you found is your kind of zone for sleep? Like, do you have, for example, a time that works for you or a routine right before bed that kind of helps guide you to that? Well, you know, it's really interesting about what you're saying back to the 5am club. It's not something that like it's, I've experienced that time of work by accident. I, I'm not, you know, what I loved about this quarantine, honestly, is that no more alarm clocks. Right. And so for me, I was like, wow, I just, I don't want to go back to being a slave to that because it is on some level what we're doing. We're forcing our body to get up when it's quite, it's not ready to. Right. Um, so and I think also the issue with waking up at 5 a.m. if you're married is that I, it's very rare that two people have the same sleep schedule. And I was speaking to somebody yesterday um, who has a company, and he said to build his company, he was up at 4 a.m. I said, well, you must have gone to bed at 7 or 8. And he's like, yeah. And I said, well, your marriage must have suffered because I'm in my other books called Rethink Love. So I'm all about relationships. It's like, yeah, really it has, and we haven't recovered yet. So I think that there's a, <laughs> you know, there's a big price to that too. Um, but when I travel, because we do travel a lot, I uh, I was really bad about jet lag. Was really hard for me, and it's funny because we went to London one year and crazy jet lag. Again, this is when I was younger, and I didn't have the respect for sleep that I have now. And somebody gave me a book called Lights Out, and have you heard? Okay, it was all about how important sleep is, and it, and if you don't get enough sleep, you cause every kind of disease in the world, and. I'm like, it's three in the morning. I'm reading this. I literally threw the book across the room. So I was like, oh my God, because <laughs> it added that anxiety of like, I need to sleep. Um, but now what I've gotten really good at, and again, I think it's just a flip of the switch and changing your mindset. I sleep on planes now and I sleep whenever I'm tired. Like I used to be so rigid about, you know, you can only sleep when it's dark out and if it's after 10. And now it's like, no, if you, there's an opportunity and you know your body needs it and you know that you have a big lecture coming up in my you know, in my life, then you go lay down. If you fall asleep for 20 minutes, fall asleep, sleep on airplanes, just be more easy about it by giving yourself what you need as you would with food, right? If you're hungry, you're going to feed yourself. And I'd be like, I mean, some people I guess do, but I can only eat at six o'clock, you know, but that kind of thing. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So, you know, one of the things we haven't addressed is women, 
right? And so women have so many different roles to play. And and you you talk about that in your relationship guidelines as well. And you're a mom, you have a special needs child, you're it sounds like you're you're married. Um you've got all these and you're running a business and you're lecturing and doing all these different things. Do you feel like women have a more difficult time with with sleep or change or both? And if so, how have you helped overcome some of that in your life? Well, I don't like to label things as men and women. I think that women, though, tend to juggle a lot more things at one time because we can, right? We can multitask. Yeah, we can. Uh, right, right. So that that I feel comfortable saying. Um, and because we do that, we're constantly like, okay, what's next? And, what, and we wear a lot of hats. And even though men are parents also, I think that women, it's a different... Um, it's a different role we play, I think, for, for our children. So I have four kids and, uh, and really, you know, statistically for the first four years, we lose a lot of sleep when we have It's children. amazing. Um, yeah, you fact, lose almost a year. Right. So exactly for the, exactly. Um, so that, that takes its toll for sure. I think though, that when it comes to parenting and really juggling it all, if you're going to do a lot of things in life. You have to be able to, again, back to being flexible and not being hard on yourself. Like you will catch up on sleep eventually. Things will get done. But I think that it's a really important thing to add laughter, levity, a lightness to going about your day. You know, people often ask me, how, how do you do it all? And because I do do a lot of things and I make time to exercise two hours a day also because that's my time to feed me. And I always say you can do everything, but not at the same time. Sometimes you know, your children are going to be in the front seat. Sometimes they're going to be in the back seat. Sometimes your deadline's in the front seat. Sometimes, you know, so it's this rotation. And as long as you're kind to yourself in the process, and a big part of that is feeding yourself well and sleeping enough and taking care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, then you will find ways to be able to be there for yourself first and foremost, and then for everybody else. Last question. As the change expert that I know you are, do you think that sleep deprivation is, is harmful to a person's ability to see the options and to change? Or do you think that sleep deprivation doesn't necessarily have an effect? I think 1000% it affects everything. <laughs> I mean, I know I've had my fair share of, of being sleep deprived. And what happens to me is I get super emotional and very weepy. And my husband just looks at me, he's like, go to sleep. Like that's his, because I, I really, my ability to um, see clearly is definitely compromised. And I think that's for everybody. Um, you know, even, you know, driving and thinking and to make decisions, all of that becomes very difficult when you haven't had enough sleep. I couldn't agree more. Monica, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a very interesting and enlightening conversation. I know that my listeners are going to want to learn more about you and your books and your lectures. Where, where can people find out more information about you? Uh, you can visit my website, rethinklife.today. And um, all of my lectures are on there as well. And my books, Fear is Not an Option and Rethink Love are available on Amazon. So I'm officially recommending her stuff, guys. You need to look at and listen to what this woman is laying down because she is a smart cookie. And I, I love this whole change idea. It's a great way to think about sleep. I love to the way these ideas are incorporating so nicely. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Monica, for your time today. Again, Monica Berg, she's an author, a motivational speaker, an official change junkie. And we are super excited to have had you here 
on the Sleep Success Podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Wow, that was fascinating. I really learned quite a few things from Monica Berg, our self-professed change junkie. What I really think she's talking about here is a tremendous amount of mental flexibility. And I really see this making a lot of sense, especially in the middle of the night when you're staring at that clock telling you it's 3.30 in the morning and you're trying to be positive. You know, I'm always telling people, think about how positively you can move through the rest of the evening. Uh, And some of her tips for change were really fantastic. I I agree with her. Change is a lot like a muscle um, and you're going to eventually trust that process over time, but you've got to work it and get used to change. I would say that my favorite thing she talked about was the to-be list and how your to-do list can actually help you with your to-be list. I like the idea of writing things down on Sunday that are more aspirational, that are kind of getting me to that place and getting me to that goal, and then finding the little steps along the way on my to-do list. I thought that was incredibly, incredibly powerful. And then an entirely different area uh, that she happens to be an expert in was Kabbalistic or Kabbalah and sort of how did people think about sleep within that universe. Interestingly, she shared with us that the best time to study uh, oftentimes was in the middle of the night. And she also explained that there are a lot of complexities between uh, the material and spiritual world that Kabbalah has a tendency to try to explain. Um, It's pretty amazing. They actually take a wake up prayer in the morning saying, thank you for allowing me to wake up. Um, During sleep, only one sixtieth of your body is present where your unconscious apparently is off in another place, uh, becoming refurbished and recovering. Again, just so interesting to learn about the perspectives, what to take away, what to leave there. This is Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor. That was a fascinating conversation. Remember, any questions you have, just email me at drbreus at thesleepdoctor.com. That's drbreus at thesleepdoctor.com. I'm looking for smart and interesting inquiries, so send me your questions. Today, we've got a question from Sean from Dublin, Ireland. And Sean asks, Dr. Bruce, I hate my pillow and I've tried a million of them. How do I find the perfect pillow? You know, Sean, this is actually something that's not so easy to do. I've written an entire blog on how to pick a pillow over on thesleepdoctor.com. If you want to check it out, you can. But here's a couple of things or at least three questions that you should be asking yourself. Question number one, squishy or firm? Do you like those pillows that are kind of rock hard or do you like things that are very moldable and things that you can kind of move around or work in? Question number two, what is your starting sleep position? If you're a side sleeper, you're going to want a much thicker pillow than if you're a back sleeper or a stomach sleeper. So the loft or the thickness of the pillow will be determined based on the position that you sleep in. And that is your starting sleep position. The final question has to do with upper shoulder or neck pain. If you are currently experiencing upper shoulder or neck pain, stop. Do not go any further and go talk to your doctor. They may have some specific recommendations for you about sleeping positions as well as pillows. Those are the big three questions that I always try to answer quickly and efficiently in order to find the best pillow out there. Next, Charlotte from Atlanta, Georgia said to me, Dr. Bruce, I know you give all this great information, but all I want is some quick and simple tips of things that I can do before bed to help me sleep better. Can you give me four or five quick tips? You bet I can. 
first of all, ditch the electronics. All right, not literally. You can still have your TV, and I'm not saying throw things away, but if you can, for the 90 minutes before bed, give yourself a media diet and do yourself a favor and don't look at the television. An interesting study from 2017 at the University of Haifa showed that blue light exposure between 9 and 11 p.m. negatively impacted sleep in three ways. It suppressed melatonin production, shortened sleep time, and hurt sleep quality by increasing the number of times that people woke during the night. So if you can, give yourself that electronic diet 90 minutes before bed. Another easy one to do, avoid alcohol right before bed. Now, I've covered this extensively if you've headed over to my blog, but remember, while alcohol is the number one sleep aid in the world, it is not a good one. If you can, avoid alcohol at least two, and in some cases, three hours before bed. This will absolutely positively make a massive difference in your overall sleep quality. Number three, exercise regularly to improve sleep. I know that right now many people aren't out there with a regular exercise routine, but I don't want you to worry. You can do this at home and still have great sleep. I'm a runner, and so I'm going out and running, and then I'm completing my exercises here in my home by doing jumping jacks and push-ups and mountain climbers and planks and all these wonderful things. Here's what I can tell you is constant exercise, both cardio as well as um, weightlifting will help with your sleep. You don't have to run a marathon. Just do about 20, 25 minutes a day. You'll be surprised at how important that is. What else can you do? Know your chronotype. What's a chronotype, Dr. Bruce? Come on, if you've been listening to me, then you have to know what a chronotype is. That's your internal biological sleep schedule, oftentimes called early bird or night owl. If you don't know what your chronotype is, head on over to chronoquiz.com where you will learn right away and you'll learn the perfect time of day to go to bed, drink coffee, drink alcohol, and exercise. Check it out at chronoquiz.com. And then finally, turn down the thermostat. In fact, if you can, sleep naked. Why? It turns out that being in a cooler environment is much easier for sleep. I'm always recommending people to keep it as cool as they possibly can. Finally, we've got Beth from Los Angeles, California. And Beth asks, are there any food mistakes that I could be making before bed that could be keeping me up at night? Like maybe I'm eating something wrong, Dr. Bruce. Well, you know what? There's actually some things that you can eat that could be beneficial for sleep. Believe it or not, there are melatonin-rich foods in your diets. Believe it or not, a number of fruits such as oranges, bananas, pineapples, grapes, and even tomatoes are naturally rich in melatonin. Turns out melatonin is a vital hormone for regulating our sleep cycles. In fact, melatonin helps with several aspects of sleep. Research has shown melatonin may actually shorten the time it takes to fall asleep while also lengthening your REM sleep. That means simply by adding melatonin-rich food to your diet, you can improve your sleep quality, reduce daytime fatigue, and boost your energy levels. All right, Dr. Bruce, what can I what are the best foods for melatonin? Well, believe it or not, tart cherries turn out to have the most data behind them. So that's certainly something that you can add as a tart cherry smoothie or even add them to your cooking. Also, the omegas are big. Salmon is very friendly to your sleep. And then, of course, are the vitamin Bs. Um, be careful. Don't take vitamin B too close to bedtime because that can certainly disrupt your sleep. But if you take it in the mornings, it absolutely helps regulate REM sleep. Are there foods that I should avoid, Dr. Bruce? You bet. Spicy foods turn out to have a noticeable shift in people's uh, bedtimes for sure. 
Also, limiting caffeine and alcohol uh, before bed turn out to be a very good idea for overall sleep. Not a really super big surprise there. Also, if you can, limit high fat foods. A few years back, I wrote about one study that looked at uh, mice on high-fat diets over the course of eight weeks. By the end, high-fat diets led to more time spent sleeping, but also more fragmented sleep. So stay away from super high fat foods in the evenings. Believe it or not, carbohydrates make you sleep. How is that, Dr. Bruce? Turns out when you ingest carbohydrates, it increases serotonin, and that serotonin causes a calming effect and allowing you to sleep. Remember, balance is the key, like most things in life, when you're looking at foods for better sleep. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you know anyone you think might have a fascinating sleep story and make for a tremendous guest, please send me an email at drbruce at thesleepdoctor.com. That's D-R-B-R-E-U-S at thesleepdoctor.com. If you want more information, feel free to visit my website, thesleepdoctor.com. Sleep Success is a Mant Bros production and executive produced by Michael Mant. I hope you learned something new to help you live better. Until next time, sweet dreams.